Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, it's, it's great to worship with you and to sing the truth of the gospel to God with thanksgiving in our heart and also to one another as Colossians chapter 3 commands us. And as we were singing that Christ is our hope in life and death and we're going to be with him forevermore and sin and death are going to be destroyed, I, I got to tell you that, that gets me a little bit excited. And uh, I, think, I think God knew what he was doing when he built the church. Of course, God is God and he always knows what he's doing. But I am especially thankful for the opportunity to gather and to worship Christ together. Um, God feeds my spirit through the community, delighting in our King together as we sing to Him and edify one another. And I want to thank you for your presence today and and for your willingness to sing out. Uh, You have ministered to me, and I I pray uh, that we've ministered to one another you know, in obeying our King. We're in Acts chapter 1. We're going to endeavor to cover verses 6 through 14 today as we cover the subject of God's power for our present mission, uh, that we, we need power for the mission that, that we have presently been invited and welcomed into as believers. Uh, last week, I shared with you that the book of Acts is about the spread of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth through spirit-empowered witnesses to the risen and ascended King Jesus. So if you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, go ahead and make your way to Acts, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 1. And as you make your way there, I want to remind you what we heard last week, that Jesus is still at work. Luke writes the book of Acts as a continuation of the work of Jesus in the world. His gospel is about what Jesus began to do, and his book of Acts is about what Jesus is continuing to do. He can continue to work because he is alive. He has conquered the grave. He's risen, and he is working. He will, as we see, pour out his spirit to empower his people to do his work in his world. Would you hear with me? beginning in verse 6, the word of God. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, 
Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Would you pray with me? God, show us yourself today. God, remind us of why, if we are in Christ, you have left us here. And for those who are not yet in Christ, of the opportunity to trust you and to have new life and a purpose and a mission to be a part of. God, we are hungry for for Jesus. We're hungry for the word. Feed us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's, there's a power that is necessary for serving on mission with Jesus that we read about in verse 8. But before we get to verse 8, we, we come across verses 6 and 7. Jesus has just told them the promise of the Father in verse 5. The promise of the Father is going to come upon you. You're going to get the whole promise of the Holy Spirit. And the apostles' minds immediately go to, to the end time to to when there's a new heavens and a new earth and what we learn first in verses six and seven is is to be on mission with Christ now we must serve in the spirit's power rather than speculate about what we cannot know there's this human tendency to want to speculate about things we can't know and to ignore the things that we know that we should be doing sometime during his 40 post-resurrection days with the apostles, Jesus told his apostles to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Spirit to come upon them. Now, the Holy Spirit presumably could have come upon them anywhere, right? He could have come upon his apostles in, in any geographic location. But Jesus tells them specifically to wait in Jerusalem. And he does this because the apostles are going to fulfill the Old Testament promise that there would be witnesses... To the only true God, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, who would, in a sense, fulfill God's promises to Israel by bearing witness to Israel's king. King Jesus will reign through the witness of his apostles, beginning at the capital city of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, Jerusalem, as Peterson writes, was especially associated with God's promises to rule over his people and to bless them through the kings of David's line. Jesus is this ultimate Davidic king. He's the Davidic king of 2 Samuel chapter 7. He's the the son who will reign over God's people without end. The message of his rule and his reign and his salvation is about to be announced in divine power beginning in Jerusalem, signifying that God is now keeping his promises in the Old Testament. The prophets told us that these days would come. Days when people from many nations would be drawn to Zion or to Jerusalem to learn of Israel's God and the word of the Lord, as we're going to see happen in Acts 2 and then in Acts 8, that the word of the Lord would then go out from Jerusalem, Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3 and Micah chapter 4 verse 2. So the apostles, because they rightly understood that the gift of the Holy Spirit was a sign 
that the end time restoration had begun, they naturally began to wonder if the kingdom of God would be restored to Israel at this time. Verse 6. Is it going to happen right now? Now what's interesting is the apostles wanted for Israel territorial sovereignty. They wanted to be recognized as a power in the world. But what they didn't yet fully comprehend, but would soon discover, is that King Jesus doesn't need territorial recognition of His sovereignty to be sovereign over all nations. The message of the gospel was going to go forth in power regardless of whether or not Israel or any other country had a domain on earth that was consecrated to the worship of Jesus. Indeed, they were going to be His ambassadors They were going to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth with no formal base of power on earth to call their own. Their base of power would be in heaven. Christ their King would give them spiritual and divine power to take the message of the gospel all over the globe. The earthly comforts and privileges that will be ours in a new heavens and a new earth would have to wait. First, nations would be welcomed into the family, conquered not by an earthly kingdom, but through spirit-empowered witnesses of the citizens of the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus tell them in verse 7? He tells them that the good end in which the kingdom of God is restored to a terrestrial Israel that covers the, the whole earth is not their concern or their privilege to know. Which... If it's not the concern of the privilege of the apostles who walked with Jesus in His earthly ministry, then it probably shouldn't be our concern or privilege to know either. You see, church, our job is not to be concerned with times and dates. As the disciples would soon learn, when the Spirit comes, their focus is to be on the rule and reign of their sovereign King overspreading the globe through the conversion of hearts that were once far from God, but are now drawn to the Father through their faithful witness, and very soon through the faithful witness of the church that they would reach. The visible evidence of the spread of the reign of Israel's king to the ends of the earth will be plain for all to see one day when Jesus returns. But the timing of His return is left to God alone. As Kellum says, it is reserved to God's own sovereignty. In other words, the kingdom of God does not come on earth as it is in heaven through end times experts. No one's going to come to Jesus because you've got your end times chart handy in the back of your Bible. Y'all with me? Y'all met one of those Christians? They're more excited about telling you about what happened in current events than what Jesus is doing right now, reigning and ruling in righteousness and telling lost people about Jesus. Don't tell me about when you think He's going to come back because of some crazy thing that happened in Israel yesterday. Tell me what you can know, which is Jesus has been crucified, buried, and raised. He's been ascended and poured out His Spirit so that you can have power to share the message of the Gospel and see hearts conquered and won for the kingdom. That's what we can know. Jesus says, it's not for you to know about times and seasons. And if the apostles don't have business knowing about times and seasons, then we don't have business reading into current events things that aren't there. And even if they were there, we couldn't know that they were there because it's reserved for God alone to know. As Peterson writes, how foolishly this warning has been ignored across the centuries. 
What should preoccupy believers is the mission plan that Jesus goes on to reveal in verse 8. Rather than focus on what we can't know, we need to focus on what we've been called to be. And we've been called to be witnesses to our King in a world that is wicked and anti-Christ. The plan is featured in verse 8. A verse that begins with the word, but. I love the word, but. It's a simple conjunction, but it's a powerful conjunction that implies and signifies contrast. So here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. I just told you in verses 1 through 5 that Jesus is still working. I just told you the promise of the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And then the question you asked is, well, when is everything going to be great and comfortable and rosy? When are we going to have territorial sovereignty and be at rest? And Jesus says, that's not what you should be asking. What you should be asking, but you should be doing what? You should be getting ready to be my witnesses. The Spirit of God is coming not for you to be cushy and comfortable, but for you to be empowered to be the witnesses to Christ to the end of the earth. So Jesus basically says, don't sit and speculate Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. What might happen in the church of God if we would resist the temptation to sit and speculate and instead go in the power of the Holy Spirit? Which is what we see in verses 8-11. through 11. We must serve in the Spirit's power as our King's witnesses to the end of the earth. What is described as the baptism of the Spirit in verse 2, excuse me, in verse 5, is now described as the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles in verse 8. This word come upon does not signify a coming and a departing, but a, a coming and remaining. The Spirit will come upon you and He will stay with you to empower you to be witnesses. It's an unbreakable relationship between God and His apostles, between Christ and His apostles. And as the promised Spirit comes to empower the fulfillment of the promise of worldwide proclamation of the gospel, Jesus says that two things will happen when the Spirit comes upon them. Two things will happen. They will receive power. Do you see that in verse 8? And they will be His witnesses. When the Spirit comes, you're going to get divine power. And when the Spirit comes, you will be witnesses. What Israel failed to do in the Old Testament, which was be a light to the nations, will now happen through the apostles of Jesus Christ. It will happen. And by the way, when Jesus uses the future tense here, He's, he's not just predicting what will happen, but He's commanding it to happen. He's commanding our obedience. Most of you have moms, right? Yeah. Like one out of one of us. You remember growing up when your mom would say, you will clean your room today? Maybe your mom never said that to you. My mom told me, you will clean your room today. So she was not just predicting that my room was going to be clean by the end of the day. What was she saying? You will clean your room today. You're going to obey. And, and Jesus' command here sort of functions in both ways. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Divine power will come upon you. And you're not going to ignore the purpose for which the Spirit has been given. You will be witnesses. 
Let's, let's talk about power first. You will receive power. What's, what sort of power is in view? It's divine power to conquer strongholds and to, to deal in the realm of the unseen. We're not talking about superhuman strength that, that can amaze people. We're not talking about the ability to go down to the ballpark and hit a home run the first time somebody throws a 95 mile an hour fastball down the middle. We're talking about divine power to do things that matter in eternity. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That does not mean that I can go outside and lift my car off the ground. That's not the context, right? It means whether whether things are bad or things are good, that I can love Jesus and continue to witness to Him with joy because the sin of my life has been placed on Christ and conquered in Him. Divine power. Not superhuman strength, but supernatural strength. The strength that would be necessary to authenticate their message, to fuel their endurance in the face of persecution, and to open the spiritual eyes and ears of those with whom they shared to hear the gospel and to believe on Christ. You can't do any of that, but when you go as a witness who's been changed by the power of God, He will meet you there and He will work on behalf of His gospel as you loosen your lips and speak the truth. The apostles would receive power. Secondly, they would be witnesses. Not just generic witnesses, right? Not not witnesses to an unnamed God or to the man upstairs. Not witnesses to themselves. Not even witnesses to the importance of going to a church or joining a church or being a nice person. That is not how they would witness. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. To receive the Holy Spirit is to receive power to be a witness to a particular person. The person of Jesus Christ. Now, to be my witnesses, the witness of of Jesus, this can either mean that they would belong to Jesus or that they would share about Jesus. I submit to you in this case, either understanding is true. They had been bought with the blood of Christ. They belonged to Him by faith. And they would tell of His rule and His reign and the responsibility to trust in Him to the ends of the earth. And this would not be easy. The word witness comes from the Greek word martus, from which we get the English word martyr. They would be witnesses for Jesus. They would be martus for Jesus. And indeed, most of the apostles who received this divine power would actually end up giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. As witnesses to Jesus who suffered to save them, they would in turn suffer so that others would see the credibility of a fact that a God came down to suffer and to save others. We should not be surprised that until Christ returns that the Spirit comes in divine power to give us His power to endure suffering as we witness to Him. This is what Paul means in Colossians 1 when he says that He fills up what is lacking in the afflictions of Jesus. Now, let me ask you, what is lacking in the afflictions of Jesus? There's nothing lacking in the afflictions of Jesus to save you. 
He bore all our sin. He conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave and rose up on the third day and He's ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you'll turn from your sin and trust in Him, He will save you to the uttermost. There's nothing lacking in His afflictions. But Paul says that He fills up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What is lacking? It's the chance for people to see that you're willing to suffer so that they can be saved. You, you tell me about this Jesus who loved me so much that He would give so generously, so sacrificially, that He would lay it all down so that I would be saved. Where's that happening in the life of His witnesses? We are the body of Christ, church. We are His hands and feet. The Gospel goes forward in power when we model what Christ has done to bring salvation on earth and the Holy Spirit came to give you power to suffer for the sake of the Gospel. With great joy. You say, well that sounds awful. No, it's glorious because you are participating in the life of Christ on earth and you know how it ends. We just sang about it. We're going to feast in great joy where sin and death are destroyed. And the question is, do we believe that? Because when God tells us, when He stretches us, when He calls us to deeper measures of sacrifice, to go the second mile for our neighbor who's lost, to give generously for the sake of the gospel, to take that extra trip to share the gospel or go to the hospital or whatever it is that happens in our life, and you're like, Jesus, I just need a nap today, and yet God gives you the power to honor Him as a witness. The life of Christ suffering in your place applied to your life by the presence of the Holy Spirit such that Jesus would be magnified is why the Spirit came. Marita says it this way, the gospel never goes forth without some measure of sacrifice. What are you laying down as a witness for Christ in your life? What is God calling you to lay down so that Jesus would be lifted up in your life, in your workplace, in your marriage, in your singleness. We all have 24 hours a day. What is God calling you to do with it for the sake of Christ? The world will be won by spirit-indwelled witnesses who get divine power to proclaim the word about our crucified, risen, and reigning King no matter how much it costs. The work of Christ is to continue through His church, through Spirit-empowered witnesses. Who will go where? They will testify of Jesus in Jerusalem, right where they are. In Judea, all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth, meaning the entire inhabited world. In this one verse, we see three things that are promised to Israel that are going to be fulfilled through the apostles. The dawn of salvation in Jerusalem has come. The reconstitution and reunification of Israel, all Judea and Samaria, unified in Christ their King. And the inclusion of the Gentiles within the people of God. Isaiah 49.6 so, so verse 8 functions a bit like a table of contents for the whole book of Acts. If you want to know how to read the book of Acts, you got to look at verse 8. Because verse 8 is telling you this is what's going to happen as you read the book. In chapters 2 through 7, the word is going to spread throughout Jerusalem. 
if you take notes in the margin of your Bible, you might want to write chapters 2 through 7, Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through 12, the word is going to spread throughout Judea and Samaria. In chapters 13 through 20, the word is going to spread to the ends of the earth, reaching Asia and Greece. And then in chapters 21 through 28, the word will get to Rome, and from Rome, ultimately and eventually, it will get to a place like Roanoke, Virginia. The message is clear. Those who have the Spirit are to be a part of the global witness to King Jesus. Now we understand that the apostles are witnesses in a way that we are not because they are eyewitnesses. But as we will see, the Spirit will not just come upon the apostles, but upon those who hear the apostles' message. And the book of Acts is not just about the acts of the apostles, it's about the acts of the Spirit-empowered church. The gospel is going to go forward in Acts 8 through the church scattered among Judea and Samaria. And it's not the apostles taking the gospel. They're still in Jerusalem. But it's everybody else who's been converted by the apostles' word witnessing to the power of God in their life through Christ crucified. Ordinary people of God, equipped with the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, and dedicated to the son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. That's the message of the book of Acts. Though we are not eyewitnesses, when the Spirit comes upon us, we are given spiritual eyes to see Jesus in His Word and divine power to tell of Him. If we know Christ, we've become a part of the Gospel story and we're to take that same story about our King to still more people and to do so without prejudice. Did you know the message of the Gospel is a global message for all people? People from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. For people from all nations to the end of the earth. Did you know the gospel is for red and yellow, black and white? It's for rich and poor and in between. It's for young and old and in between. It's for Democrats and Republicans and independents. It's for Hokies and Hoos and Muslims and Hindus and socialists and free market capitalists. It's for people who are not vaccinated and people who are. Is this on? Wherever you are on any of those things, what people most need is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not for your opinion on Facebook about something that's going to drive people away from Him rather than to Him. And don't misunderstand me. Knowing Jesus will impact and influence how we think about all these other hosts of issues, and that's the work of discipleship, and that's some tough pastoral conversations that need to happen along the way, but the first and foremost thing that people need is a saving encounter with Jesus. And if you have a saving encounter with Jesus, then everything else that I just mentioned, every category of possible disagreement, has to come under His Lordship. Which means if you trust Jesus, you are open to that impacting who you vote for in local and national and state elections. Well, I've always been a Republican. Well, good for you. But who are the candidates and what are their positions? Well, I've always been a Democrat. That's just what my daddy did. That's what I'm going to do. Are you thinking critically about the decisions that you're making in light of the wisdom in God's Word. There is nothing that is settled in the life of a Christian that doesn't come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, I've just always thought that way about that. 
That's the way I was always taught. You've got to be willing to relearn everything in light of the gospel. But as a church, we don't expect the world to have relearned everything in light of the gospel before they meet the King of glory. They've got to meet Jesus first. Sorry, I got a little excited about that. We, we are a Jesus people. Jesus is what brings us together. It is Him crucified that, that saved us and reconciled us and restored us. And then when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, we're not going to be talking about vaccinations. We're going to be talking about the victory that we have through the blood of Jesus. Notice that our, our mission on earth is as vast as the territory to which our king can lay legitimate claim. The whole earth is his. Kuiper says of King Jesus, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. As heirs of our king's mission, we endeavor to obey this mandate by sharing and getting the gospel shared where? Where do we share the gospel? Around the church and around the valley and around the world. This is why we pray for missionaries every week. It's why a, a significant portion of your tithes and offerings supports missionaries every single week. We have been left here as witnesses so that others may know and worship and witness to our risen King. Now, in verse 9, the apostles, understandably looking as Jesus ascends into heaven... They look at Jesus for as long as they can until a, a cloud hides them from their sight. The cloud signifies God's, uh, excuse me, Christ's envelopment in the glory of God. In verse 10, two angels appear. And in verse 11, the angels ask, Why are you standing there staring into the sky? This is a rhetorical question. It's uh, to use, to pick on my mom again. Sorry, mom, if you're watching this. It's like when my mom used to ask me on hot summer afternoons when I would run out of the house and leave the door open and just be standing there. She'd be like, why are you standing there with the door open? Or sometimes she would say, is this a barn? <laughs> now, now, what was my mom asking me when she said, is this a barn? Was she asking me to answer that question? Was she looking for information? Well, actually, this is more like a house constructed with airtight <laughs> weather stripping. And... No, that's, 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 the, that's the sense of the angel's question here. Why are you standing there looking up in the staring into the sky? Jesus has commissioned you. He's commanded you to go to Jerusalem, and you're still standing there. What are you, what are you doing? He's, he's telling the disciples to stop gazing and to get going. But, but what about the promise of life forever physically present with Jesus? It seemed like all of our hopes were coming true. Our King was here. He was on earth. We were with Him. And He's leaving? And then the angels say this. He's going to return in the same way that He went. Don't despair. Take heart. You're going to get power to testify of a king who came and conquered the grave and is coming again. He's coming back. And when he does, he will return in a cloud with power and great glory. Luke 21, 27. 
In Revelation 1-7, we read, Behold, He's coming with the clouds. In Daniel 7-13, One like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. Like His ascent to heaven, His return will be visible. It will be glorious. It will be bodily. And it will be decisive. Jesus has come. He's conquered the grave. The witness is going out. And what you do with Him matters. And when He returns, you will know that it matters because He will return as judge. Of course, there will be differences as well with His return. His return will be with His mighty angels, 1 Thessalonians 1.7. He will bring with them those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in faith, 1 Thessalonians 4.14. And every eye will see Him, Revelation 1.7. For as Jesus says in Luke 17.24, as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. Nobody's going to miss the return of Jesus. When Jesus returns, He will vindicate His witnesses and vanquish His enemies. In other words, the the time between Jesus' first coming and His coming again is to be marked by what? Spirit-empowered witness to our King to the ends of the earth, beginning with the apostles and continuing through every Spirit-empowered Christian and church until He returns. What does this mean? The apostles didn't just witness Christ raised, they witnessed Christ ascended and promising the promise of His return, which means, church, we must include the return of Jesus in our witness to Christ. We must include the physical return of Jesus in our witness to Christ. He didn't come just to save you spiritually, He came to save you bodily. For you to physically be with Jesus in a new heavens and a new earth forever. That's the end of the gospel story. We sang it in our song. We will be with Him forevermore. Jesus is not just some spiritual idea. He is the incarnate Son of God. Ruling and reigning in righteousness at the right hand of the Father. And He will return to judge the quick and the dead. And only those who have trusted in Christ and bowed their knee before He returns will be saved. We must proclaim this message. You can't hear the gospel and not choose a side because Jesus is coming back to vindicate His righteousness. You can either surrender to King Jesus in faith now and receive forgiveness, or you can wait and delay and then He's going to return and you will receive the just penalty for your sins. Life forever separated from the love of God because you did not trust in Jesus and let Him take your sin and your penalty and give you life everlasting in Him. Those are the options. And those who know Jesus as King and want to witness to Him in the world, the the last thing we see is in verses 12 through 14, our our third point. We must be an obedient, Christ-centered community relying upon God in prayer. The apostles obey in verse 12. What do they do? They go back to Jerusalem. It's a Sabbath day journey about a half mile from the Mount of Olives. Now it's interesting that Jesus ascends from the Mount of Olives. Because in Zechariah 14, it tells us that when He returns as judge, that He will descend at the Mount of Olives. When they they arrive in Jerusalem, they they go into an upper room, likely the same room where Jesus had shared His last supper at Passover with them. The, The room is described as one where they were staying, which suggests that over this past 40 days of interacting with Jesus, they've probably been overnighting in this room. Then in verse 13, Luke lists the names of all the apostles to prepare us for next Sunday's sermon. 
because Judas is not an apostle anymore. Sadly, he's betrayed the Lord. But the 11 remaining apostles are there. They're unified in praying because of their common connection to Jesus who called them out and set them apart. Why are we here, church? We're here because of Jesus. Who are we here for? We're here for Jesus. And it's not just the apostles. It's also the women. Well, who in the world are the women? The women are the women who had financially supported Jesus and His apostles during His earthly ministry. Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. They were the witnesses to the resurrection. And then there's Mary, Jesus' mother. She's there. And interestingly, this, this will be the last mention of Mary in the good book. And Mary, notice where Mary is found. She's found, the church is not found praying to Mary. But Mary is found humbly praying with the church. She's just one of us, one of them, somebody in great need of her son, the living Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see Jesus' brothers are there, which is interesting because Jesus' brothers had initially rejected Jesus. So if you've rejected Jesus in your past, but you're still alive and have breath, and you hear the gospel this morning and want to trust in Him, I have good news for you. You can still trust in Jesus today. Jesus appeared to James, His brother, in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. We're told that, who then likely witnessed to all His brothers. And Jesus' brothers, though they rejected Him at first, became very important. In fact, two of them wrote books in the New Testament. And James goes on to be the leader of the Jerusalem church. So we've got all kinds of people there. People who walked with Jesus for three years, Jesus' mom, and we've got his brothers who rejected him. We're like, who's that little kid? I can't believe that he thinks he's Jesus. Oh, he's Jesus. So I don't know, I don't know where you are in that spectrum. Maybe you've walked with Jesus for a long time. Maybe, maybe you've rejected Christ and recently come to him. But what convicts us and strikes us about this passage is no matter how they got to Jesus, Jesus brought them together. Look at verse 14. They were with one accord, devoting themselves or continuing in or persisting in prayer. They were praying together as people connected to Jesus in a variety of different ways, but now He is the glue that holds them together. He is the reason they exist. He is their hope in a world that, I mean, there's not very many of them, couple hundred believers, ragtag, sect of Judaism, so it seems. And they're there together with one another, with Jesus, living in anticipation of the advance of Christ's mission in all the world. Did you know that unity fuels our praying and that praying preserves our unity? When you're united in Christ... And longing for Him to be magnified in the world and recognize that you can't do anything apart from His power, it's going to drive you to pray. And when you start to pray because God has called you to be involved in His mission, guess what it's going to do? It's going to preserve your unity. Why are so many churches fracturing and divided in so many ways? Because we've lost our focus. Our focus is Jesus. 
Jesus is the one who brings us together. Jesus is the one we proclaim in all the world. And the reason we pray is because we know that apart from the power of God poured out on us and in our church, we are nothing. But if we will dependently and humbly call upon God, that God will meet us there and He will fulfill His promise and He will send His Spirit and the Word of God will go forth in power. Jesus said in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will also do, because I'm going to the Father. The greater work of worldwide witness comes through the apostles to the church and is now entrusted to us, which means we need to be unified and we need to pray. Acts will take up this topic of prayer many more times, and so for a later message, we'll focus more on prayer. But for now, I want to say this. We are a busy people with misaligned schedules like never before. But I suspect that we'd be more aware of the power that we've already received by way of the Holy Spirit and more ready to wage warfare as witnesses if we would find the time to pray. If the powerful progress of the gospel is preceded by unified prayer of the apostles and their close associates, then maybe, North Roanoke, we should prioritize worshiping together as they did and praying together as they did. You say, well, when am I going to do that? Maybe as we gather in our 3D groups, we could pray for the power of God and the progress of the gospel. Maybe in our informal lunch meetings with friends from our church family, we could include some time to pray. Maybe in our informal and formal accountability groups, we should pray. In our Wednesday night classes, we could spend some time in prayer. To be effective in continuing our King's work in the world, we must not spend time speculating about the timing of Christ's return, but instead we must walk in the Spirit Spending our lives helping others hear of King Jesus as we eagerly await His return. And we must do this as a community brought together by Christ and united in prayer. As I close this morning, I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. I don't know if you know Him or know of Him or if today you need to trust Him. But if you do, we would invite you as we sing our last song to to come and to give your life to Christ and know that your sins are forgiven and that when He returns, you will be with Him. And from now until then, that you can witness to Him forevermore. And if you are a believer this morning, you say, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a member of North Roanoke Baptist Church. I've been baptized, the Spirit has changed my life, but I haven't been walking in the Spirit's power I haven't been seeing myself as a blood-bought witness to Jesus Christ. Then, then maybe today, whether in your pew or by coming and praying here at the front, you would say to God, God, break me, mold me, use me afresh. God, give me your power to be your witness in a lost and dying world. However God would call you to respond, I pray that you will. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we need you. We are nothing apart from You, and with You all things are possible. Spirit of God, I pray that You would continue to move in our midst, that You would draw people to saving faith. God, that You would loosen the lips of Your church to testify of Your goodness and of Your grace. 
Jesus, we thank you for the promise that you are not only that you've come, but that you're coming again. And between those two comings, God, we know that you empower us to, to be bold and courageous and sacrificial in our witness to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would work in your church, that Jesus would be magnified in the Roanoke Valley, across our commonwealth and around the world. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.